I'm Avery Smith of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Happy New Year to all of you. I cannot believe we are already halfway through January. Here in the United States, and I imagine in much of the world, just about every day is bringing some huge news story to the table. It's honestly really overwhelming, and it makes the days pass by in a blur. I hope that all of y'all are able to find moments of peace and clarity where you can practice mindfulness and gratitude. Making time for such moments is something that I know I really need to work on if I'm going to make it through 2021. Speaking of 2021, the main point of this episode is to share my plans for Blessed Are the Binary Breakers in this new year. I'm also going to take the chance to share some of my thoughts on interracial and interfaith solidarity within the Georgia runoff election. Which is probably really foolish of me, because I am very bad at understanding and articulating political stuff. So if I say anything that makes zero sense or is just flat out wrong, feel free to contact me and call me out. I'm actually going to do that second thing first. And then you can stay tuned for the podcast updates in the second half of the episode. So, let's talk politics. Here's hoping it won't be an absolute disaster. And by the way, if you visit the transcript for this episode, you'll find links to resources for all of the information that I share. My wife and I moved to Georgia in November of 2019 completely clueless to how instrumental our new home state would be in the following year's election. In the first week of November 2020, Georgia was one of a few states whose election results we all awaited with bated breath. If the state swung blue, Biden and Harris would win. Sure enough, Biden won the presidential election by a good 7 million votes, despite what Trump and his supporters continue to claim. But Georgia's role in our nation's imminent future wasn't done. We still had a runoff election for two Senate seats in January. If the two Democratic nominees both won, the Senate would be flipped in favor of the Democratic Party, with Vice President Harris serving as a tiebreaker when needed. Well, We had our runoff election to vote for two senators in the first week of January, and y'all, In the two months leading up to that election, my wife and I received anywhere from one to a record 11 pieces of mail reminding us to vote almost every single day, as well as three volunteers coming to our door to ask if we needed help voting. It was a truly colossal amount of reminders and advertisements, but it worked because the two Democrats running were elected. The Senate is no longer Republican-controlled. Now, I'm personally much further left than most of the Democratic Party here in the U.S., but this is far better news than a continued Republican Senate majority. 
and Georgia's two new senators in particular, hold a special place in my heart, even if I don't agree with all of their political stances. The community involvement and teamwork that went into getting them elected resonates with discussions on solidarity that I've been holding on this podcast for quite a while now. To start with, these two new senators are a beautiful example of interfaith and interracial solidarity. Because John Ossoff is a white Jewish man, while the Reverend Raphael Warnock is a black Christian minister. Both of them point to their faith's role in cultivating their commitment to justice and equity for all. Back in December, John Ossoff said the following in an interview with Haaretz, I'm descended from Ashkenazi immigrants who fled pogroms in the early 20th century, and I grew up among relatives who were Holocaust survivors. So my Jewish upbringing instilled in me a conviction to fight for the marginalized and oppressed, and also to be vigilant where there's the risk that authoritarianism may emerge. The fact that Ossoff has joined forces with his fellow newly elected Georgian senator and black Christian Reverend Raphael Warnock is also a reflection of his Jewish-based beliefs. In the same interview, Ossoff brought up the first meal he shared with the late Congressman John Lewis, who marched alongside Martin Luther King Jr. and who served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1987 until his passing in 2020. Ossoff is quoted saying that Lewis wanted to talk to me about the alliance between Jews and blacks in the civil rights movement, and how he had marched alongside rabbis and Jewish activists for civil rights in the South in the mid-1960s. He stressed how important it was to sustain this alliance. While anti-blackness and anti-Semitism certainly have different histories and manifest in very different ways, where you encounter one, you don't have to go far to encounter the other. For example, within this very election, Ossoff's and Warnock's Republican opponents ran a Facebook advertisement that photoshopped Warnock's skin to be darker than it is, and another advertisement that enlarged Ossoff's nose. In response to that second ad, Ossoff tweeted that Purdue's digital attack ad distorted my face to enlarge and extend my nose. I'm Jewish. This is the oldest, most obvious, least original anti-Semitic trope in history. The black and Jewish communities are often pitted against each other, despite there being, of course, black Jewish folks who belong to both. But in Ossoff's and Warnock's partnership, they join as one. So, having introduced Ossoff in a little detail, let's move on to Warnock. The Reverend Raphael Warnock is the senior minister of America's Freedom Church, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, the spiritual home of Martin Luther King Jr. As I did my research before voting, I was both hopeful and wary of Warnock's title of reverend. It is, of course, all too common for Christians, especially evangelical or Baptist ones, to be anti-LGBT, anti-reproductive rights, and so on. But Reverend Warnock does my religion proud. 
He points to his faith in Jesus, who came for all persons, as the foundation of his civil rights advocacy, proclaiming that there is no such thing as equal rights for only some. Of course, the white Christian right were all too happy to weaponize Warnock's own religion against him. The most common political advertisement that my wife and I saw while watching stuff on YouTube in December came from Warnock's Republican competitor, Kelly Loeffler, who shared a clip from a 2011 sermon of Warnock's in which he says, America, nobody can serve God and the military. You can't serve God and money. You cannot serve God and mammon at the same time. America, choose ye this day whom you will serve. If you pull up the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24, you'll see that Warnock is pretty directly paraphrasing Jesus' own words. So the fact that Christian fundamentalist Kelly Loeffler decided this was the line from his preaching that proves how terrifyingly anti-American Warnock is, is just so fascinating to me. It's more evidence in a long pile of evidence that what right-wing, white nationalist Christians call biblical values are not all that biblical. These are the same Christians who claim that you cannot be transgender and Christian, that God does not affirm LGBT relationships or identities, and that Black Lives Matter, both the movement and even the simple claim that Black Lives do indeed matter, are antithetical to Christianity. I am grateful to Warnock for spotlighting a Christian faith that affirms God's love for diversity and God's preferential option for the poor and oppressed of our world, especially in the face of so many of his Christian colleagues in the 117th Congress being more conservative Christians with hateful and harmful views towards such groups as black, indigenous people of color, immigrants, sex workers, disabled persons, and those experiencing poverty or homelessness. As the most privileged and powerful religion in the United States, it is not surprising that Christians hold a majority in the Senate and the House of Representatives, both among Democrat and Republican members. It's also not surprising, and indeed much more uplifting, to note that senators and representatives who are not Christian tend to be Democrats, with views ranging from liberal to progressive to leftist. When we recognize that almost every Jewish member of Congress and every single Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Unitarian Universalist, and Humanist member of Congress belongs to the Democratic Party, it becomes clear that the common assumption that religious people are always conservative and right-wing must be challenged. After all, that view requires us to center the Christianity that is predominant in the white Western world and assume that we can paint all other religions with the same brush. We can't. And when we try to, we erase non-Christian religions. We perpetuate white supremacy and settler colonialism in which white Christianity is so entangled. I'm really not wording this very well. I'll share a much more coherent excerpt that discusses the need to rethink how faith and politics can interact. Earlier this week, the Commonweal magazine published an article titled Warnock's Way, 
that highlights the differences in Warnock's Christianity and right-wing Christianity. In it, Catholic author and advocate John Gayrink writes, Along with renewed attention to the power of black liberation theology, Warnock's win is instructive for shifting the narrative about faith in politics, especially in red states where religion is a central player. The religious right has spent decades investing in organizing faith leaders and conservative voters. White evangelicals and white Catholics played a decisive role in claiming the mantle of values voters during the George W. Bush era. Donald Trump relied on these voters to win the White House. Reverend Warnock's victory does not have to be an outlier. A progressive, prophetic religious approach to justice and politics can be a winning ticket across the country. A new moral majority, multiracial and interfaith, can begin to reclaim faith from the grip of reactionary white Christians who have defiled the gospel since long before Trump's election. End quote. John Ossoff and Reverend Warnock are both fueled by their respective cultural and religious backgrounds to advocate for the most vulnerable populations in our country. Thus, they give religion a much better name than those Christians who weaponize their beliefs to justify colonization, oppression, and exclusion of various marginalized groups. And Warnock and Ossoff are not the only politicians whose faith leads them in the direction of justice and equity. No discussion on Georgia's elections would be complete without emphasizing the work of Stacey Abrams and her black women-led teams. In 2014, Stacey Abrams founded the New Georgia Project to Combat Voter Suppression, which can be credited with registering an estimated 800,000 new voters over the past six years. When Abrams lost her race for Georgia governor by just 55,000 votes in 2018, Abrams worked all the harder to fight the voter suppression and purges that led to her defeat, founding the voter access organization Fair Fight. It's because of her and all of those involved at the New Georgia Project and Fair Fight that Georgia flipped blue for both the presidential election and this runoff election. And it's her faith that Abrams credits for her commitment to civil advocacy, stating, My faith is central to the work that I do, and that I not only hold Christian values, but my faith tradition as a Methodist tells me that the most profound demonstration of our faith is service. Abrams' parents were both Methodist clergy and raised their children to connect following Christ to public service. In fact, all of Abrams' siblings are public servants of some kind. It's also the history of suppressing black voters that inspires so many black women to fight that suppression today. In an AP article from October 2020, Stacey Abrams' sister and U.S. District Court Judge Leslie Abrams' gardener is said to have shared their grandmother's story of being taught at her Mississippi church how to pass a written poll test only to be refused the vote because she didn't get the right answer when asked how many bubbles there were in a bar of soap. In the Abrams' family's stories, and so many others, 
we see how religious communities can help rather than hinder every American's right to vote. I don't have time to discuss them here, but I invite you to do some research into the Souls to the Polls organization and the Interfaith Alliance's 2020 voting advocacy, to visit jewishvote.org, to check out vote.narf.org, which aims to protect voting rights and foster voting engagement among Native communities nationwide. One of my favorite things about Stacey Abrams is that she continuously emphasizes that she has not accomplished all that she's done on her own, that justice is a team effort. She looks to the black women and others whose own work has fed hers, and she and other black women who have shouldered far more of the work than should ever have been expected of them remind us that our gratitude towards black women must come with our active support. These burdens should never have been theirs to bear alone. And truly, only in solidarity, interfaith, interracial, intergenerational, intersectional solidarity can we move together towards a more just world. It is in that spirit of solidarity that I am using my trans-centered podcast to discuss a topic that is not trans-specific. Which brings me to part two of today's episode, telling you where blessed are the binary breakers is headed for 2021. First, however, I want to let you know about another podcast that's on the Rock Candy Network with me. A funny, thought-provoking, beautifully edited show called Bubble and Squeak. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano. I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal, revealing stories. He whispered, did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the... I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach. General Star, Elijah Heimbach speaking. Now may I help? Into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. Always a problem with the butt sex. Yes, you just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. So, if you made it through the first part of this episode, you may be wondering what a trans-centered podcast is doing prattling on about elections that impact just about everyone in the U.S., not just trans folks. Well, it's all about breaking more and more binaries, baby. It's all about leaning into interdependence and solidarity and recognizing that we trans folk will not be free until all communities are free. I find it less and less possible to talk about transgender stuff and religious stuff without also talking about all sorts of other things, because none of us can be boxed up into just one or two aspects of our identity. How can I talk about being a non-binary person of faith without also bringing up being autistic, being a poet, having privilege as a white U.S. citizen, and so on? I can't. So I'm expanding the binaries explicitly covered in this podcast beyond just that false binary thrown up between trans and cisgender folks to also more intentionally cover binaries around race, class, disability, and more. Take this episode, for example. 
Certainly, issues of voter suppression most heavily impact certain communities of color. And you will find many trans persons within those communities. But even those trans people who, like myself, are white, and in general wouldn't have to worry about our vote being suppressed, also currently find more and more reason to worry about voter suppression. As the National Center for Transgender Equality explains, having ID that doesn't match your gender identity or presentation should not affect your right to cast a ballot in any state. But, with increasingly strict voter ID laws, trans people may face barriers, both because of difficulties in obtaining an ID that's accepted, or because they might run into bias or misunderstandings of the law when it comes to their gender. Thus, even a white trans person and, say, a cisgender black person suddenly find common ground in our fight for our own rights. And when those in power rely on a divide-and-conquer method in which they pit different marginalized groups against each other, recognizing that my freedom is tied up in yours, is tied up in theirs, and so on, is vital to justice work. I have talked about these ideas of inter-community solidarity a lot in previous episodes. Check out episode 23, As If Their Battle Were My Own, for example. And it's this kind of solidarity that I want to continue to emphasize in the future. So this year, you'll be getting a lot of episodes that are not transgender-specific and or faith-specific, but are still imperative to discussions about trans persons of all religious experiences. In particular, I plan to hone in on disability rights and how I and others believe that the disability community and transgender community have much to gain from working together, as the ideologies that justify our marginalizations tend to be very similar. You can look forward to an episode focused on explaining that idea, and another episode focused on mental illness and health among trans persons in February and March. But don't worry, you'll be getting interview episodes as well, because here is my resolution for this podcast for 2021. Every month, I plan to put out two episodes instead of my average one episode per month in 2020. One episode will come out about halfway through each month, and it's more likely to just be me talking by myself about whatever topic of research I choose to bring to the table that month. The second episode will come out on the last Tuesday of every month, and those will be the interview episodes where I bring on a guest who discusses gender and religion with me. I do want to add a little disclaimer that I only guarantee one episode each month but I have high hopes that I will be able to achieve this two-episode resolution. It's just that when you're disabled and mentally ill, it's really hard to make commitments about what you'll definitely have time and energy for, you know? I, I don't know for sure what the future holds. And if 2021 is anything like 2020, I think most of you will understand that life comes at you fast sometimes. The unexpected arises, and suddenly you have to throw out your whole to-do list to focus on the urgent issues. So, all that being said, if you have ideas for topics that you would like me to discuss that have to do with transness and or religion, even if only tangentially, 
or if there's a topic that you're not sure relates to transness or religion and you want me to do some research for you about how that might relate, let me know at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. Also, if you are interested in coming on the show to talk about such things, let me know that too. For instance, for my upcoming episode on mental illness and health among trans persons, here is an open invitation for submissions on that topic. I invite anybody who, one, is trans, non-binary, or otherwise not cisgender, or doesn't fit into the Western gender binary framework, two, wants to share, and is in a healthy enough place to safely share their own experiences with mental illness and or suicide ideation, and three, especially if those experiences are at all related to any religious or spiritual background, including for a religion you have since left, I invite you to submit your story for this upcoming episode. You can submit your story via audio or video recording or a written-out story that I will read aloud on your behalf. Try to keep your submission within eight minutes or less if you can, and your submission can be as short as like 30 seconds, whatever you've got to say, long or short. Please get your submissions in by February 15th, 2021 by sending them to queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. Thanks. One last thing about podcast plans for 2021 that I want to bring up. I have decided to retire my Patreon for now. Basically, my wife and I are pretty financially sound right now, especially compared to so many others who are suffering during this pandemic time. In light of that, it feels icky to me to accept your financial support. Chances are you could use the money more than I could, or there are other amazing individuals and groups that you could offer your money to instead. So, as long as my financial situation remains solid, I'm going to shut off my Patreon. That being said, those of you who have been supporting me via Patreon are so near and dear to my heart. Your generosity has allowed me to pay my interview guests, to buy books and other materials that help me produce the show, and more. So one last time... Adrian, Jay Gebner, Ron Hartzler, Willow Hoving, and all of my patrons, thank you so much. I hope you continue to enjoy my work, and if you can, support me by spreading the word that this podcast exists. All right, y'all. I think that's it for this episode. The next episode will come to you at the end of January with an interview I think you'll all get a lot out of. See you then. And in the meantime, go break some binaries and be a blessing to the world with your life.